Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Um, I think churches need to actually start developing and people need to actually start developing um, positive relationships with uh, mental health counselors. You're listening to Absurdity with Ryan Becker, the podcast where we embrace the absurdity of everything. From here, we can move conversations forward by learning how to communicate effectively, listen intently, and love patiently. Welcome to Absurdity. Welcome back to Absurdity. My name is Ryan Becker, your host, and I'm really glad that you're joining us. We are uh, back talking with Tony Anoboli this week, once again, a really good friend of mine, and today we're talking about missional mindsets, disinterested kindness, and all things church, churches getting involved in their communities. Now, this is the second time Tony's been on, and you can expect him to be on even more after this, but I believe at this point, as he and I both talk about church work, that it's important for me to set some context for you. So I'm going to go ahead and do that now. Tony is just a couple years older than me at um, 26, 27 years old. I actually forget his exact age. So Tony, as you listen to this, sorry. Um, but he grew up as a pastor's kid uh, and grew up knowing church politics, experiencing church politics uh, secondhand uh, through his father. Myself, I grew up Adventist and with a mother who worked in the education system more so than the church side of Adventism. But... I have been involved with church work for the last several years, uh, traveling to different churches, seeing how they operate, as well as now running uh, a couple myself. On top of this, Tony also pastored for a few years before entering seminary. So neither of us are coming at this with a completely green perspective of never having pastored a church or never being involved with zero or little exposure to church ministry. But both of us are sharing from our experiences, kind of our mindsets and, and, and the way that we would approach things. So if there's anyone out there who would criticize us for uh, not being qualified to speak on these things, look, I don't think that we're the final authority on anything. In fact, I don't believe that this podcast is meant to be the final authority on a lot of things, but we want to facilitate conversation and talk about things as best as we can. And so really, you're just going to hear about two guys talking about this kind of topic together. 
I do want to let you know if you've been checking out Absurdity for the last about week and a half and heard our episodes regarding racism at Southern, um, just the day after, or the same day, I don't remember exactly, that we uh, released our episode with Joel, Southern also released a video. And what I find so interesting about this video, it's, it's their president, Dave Smith, talking about Southern's history, addressing its racist history, um, the fact that it has not done an adequate job of helping black students and, and students of color succeed on its campus and addressing ways that it would that that Southern will move forward. And what I find really, really cool about this is that several of the things that both Philip and Joel talked about on absurdity are all being uh, followed through on the university's end. So I just think that's really cool. I'm not saying that that absurdity had any hand in that because the video was released the same day as uh, Joel's interview here which means that they had recorded the video ahead of time before they had even heard our conversation with her. So I'm not um, here to say that 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 we had a hand in it, but I'm really glad to see that there is movement on the side of Southern. Uh, What I'm going to do is just before the jump to our conversation with Tony, I'm going to rip the audio from that video and play it uh, for you. And then I'm also going to link the video into our in the show notes so that you can go see it. Uh, you can see Dave Smith talking about this as well, and several other uh, people from Southern make an appearance. Really glad that you have chosen to check us out. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback for me, you can tweet at me at Ryan180Becker or email us at Ryan180Becker at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. Here's our conversation with Tony Anoboli. Southern Adventist University is proud of its diverse student body, but a persistent question remains, is Southern racist? In the last few years, multiple racial incidents have been broadcast widely on social media, underscoring this question. The institution's history has also contributed. Southern was slow to integrate and even slower to acknowledge and rectify the racial issues which our students and employees of color experienced. There has been a repeated pattern of listening to concerns from black students without pursuing strong actions to address them. While we have been making efforts, they have not been enough. To my black brothers and sisters in Christ, you have shared your concerns, and I want you to know you have been heard. Today, we are recommitting to step up and listen more carefully when you describe your experiences, to act on what we hear, and to take steps that will help us become a more close-knit, Christ-centered community. Today, as president of Southern Adventist University, I apologize for our history for not doing more to foster racial harmony over the last 126 years. I apologize for any mistreatment of black students have faced during our history. And I apologize for not trying harder to understand these issues and the challenges that have kept students of color from having the experience they sought and they deserved. But more than apologize, I ask for forgiveness from you and any other individuals who have encountered discrimination while on our campus. I am sorry that your experience was so much less than what it should have been at a Christian university. And I pledge a better day for our campus. In the coming weeks, we will be conducting focus groups designed to help us listen in open and honest dialogue to the concerns of our students of color and to their ideas for how we as a university can take action 
to address these concerns. And I pledge to immediately empower our diversity committee to improve how we address these issues on our campus. For instance, creating, promoting, and supporting programming that tackles diversity issues while developing an education process that will increase understanding and provide relevant resources. The committee will also recommend the best way to include diversity as a key consideration in the hiring process of employees. I pledge that we will improve the representation of our diverse student body at the administrative level, starting immediately with the creation of a Vice President for Diversity position. And I would like to ask for the prayers and support of all of our students and employees in pursuing these goals. Let us strive together to make Southern Adventist University a place where it cannot be said that we do not care about, listen to, support, or nurture all of our students and employees. Instead, may we become known as a school where students and employees alike exhibit and experience a Christ-likeness in all that they do. May we become a model for racial harmony in a world increasingly divided and hateful. This is our commitment to pursue positive change in and out of the classroom for our underrepresented students. We promise to take all reports of discrimination seriously and create a culture of speaking up and standing up for students and employees of color. We won't treat harmony as a given. We will listen to each other and learn from our stories. This is our time to embrace the pain of our past in all its ugliness so that we can ensure a future where each student feels valued, understood, and heard. This is our pledge to learn and grow through crucial conversations and sustained dialogue on campus. This is Southern, a place where we strive to make every student feel welcome and wanted. We're Southern employees stepping up to support students of color. We are Southern students living out our mission to edify and serve one another in humility. We are Christians, and as disciples, we will not be silent when we see discrimination. We, as the Black students of Southern, pledge to speak out when we see and hear the grievances of discrimination, bigotry, and other intolerable behavior on our campus. This is Southern Adventist University, a campus grounded in hope, united in Christ, and committed to living with one another in love. I'm here with Tony Anobili again. Tony, I know it's just been um, a couple of weeks since you've last been on, but I'm excited to have you back and have you uh, excited or a uh, part of absurdity on a more continuing basis. Um, and today, I know we're doing something a little bit different, a little bit reverse of what the nor- what the what the norm on absurdity is as far as the way we have this conversation. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and let you take the lead um, from here on out and and lead us through today's topic. Man, I don't know if you want to give me that green light, Ryan. Um, <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I can, I can always just not air this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Actually, that, that is true. You do 
<laughs> this goes really bad. You can okay. Oh man, we had uh, recording issues. Yeah, well, exactly. hello, absurdists. It's great to be back. Um, this was uh, so much fun last time. Um, so I'm hopefully, uh, hopefully going to see uh, how this one goes, and if it keeps going well, hopefully we can keep the the momentum going. Um, before we get started with anything, I'd like to do a quick shout out today. We are uh, officially recording this on the second day of February, uh, which is Black History Month. Um, it's awesome. I am a huge advocate for everyone uh, studying African history and black history, even if you are not black or from uh, an African descent. Um, study it up. You know, we get taught history so much from a, a European centric uh, um, idea or, or uh, place. Um, study up, know the world around you. Uh, as Christians, a huge majority of the early church came from North Africa. Um, that's where uh, uh, Alexandria was. That's where, um, you know, uh, most of the Middle East uh, is, is very African in a sense. Um, the the surliest Christians came from Ethiopia. So I think there's a huge advantage uh, to be taken from understanding uh, black history. Also, before we do that, though, today is a very special day. Uh, this is Ryan Becker's birthday. So, Becker, happy birthday to you. Thank you. Um, this is so cool. I'm, I'm just, uh, he, he probably didn't realize that I knew exactly what I was doing, but I wanted to make sure we did it, uh, today because I wanted to be able to do this on his birthday. So I'm going to give him a little bit of time later on, uh, to expound on how it feels to be a year older. Um, but this, this week, uh, we're going to be talking about a really awesome concept, um, that I think is, is interesting, but before we kind of get into that, to, to started off um becker kind of tell me how did your family become christian or, or seventh-day adventist uh give me kind of a background into how you kind of got here so um i actually don't know beyond my grandparents um exactly how the adventist connection happened uh, my great-grandfather on my dad's side of the family i think it was my great or my great-great-grandfather one of the two um was adopted so we're actually not sure of my lineage beyond that. Um, but I will say my Cuban side, my mom's side, uh, my mom was born in Cuba. She actually got out of Cuba two weeks before Fidel Castro took power um, and into the States. But my grandfather was a pastor in Cuba, and he's actually responsible or partially responsible for planting a couple of the Spanish churches that are in uh, Central Florida. And they came over to the States and he continued to pastor but so so my side, uh, my mom's side of the family is really the side that has interacted strongly with Adventism um, in that regard. My mom worked for the conference growing up. My dad worked for Florida Hospital. So um, for me, I was always entrenched in that Adventist system. I grew up fully Adventist education-wise, um, church-wise. I never was outside of this denomination. Uh, there was a time where I was bitter with the church. There was a time where I hated the system, and I think um, – a lot of people go through that. But for me, um, that time was kind of short-lived and uh, because of things that happened to me in my senior year of high school, um, when my dad died, mom fighting cancer, she's still alive. I always forget to say that part and then people freak out. She's still alive. She's beaten it three times total, which is amazing. And I praise God for it. Um, but I've, um, you know, that actual struggle forced me to really make a decision. Do I, do I take my faith seriously or not? Um, and so that's kind of, um, 
when I did it. But my faith specifically is actually not really impacted that much by the differing cultures or Hispanic culture. Um, in fact, I would most argue, or I would, I would tend to say that my faith is kind of centered in, um, in the Caucasian and white male kind of stereotype of church, um, that white expectation of church. That's kind of where culturally my view of church and my experience with church has happened. I grew up American. I was born in Orlando. You know, there's, it's not, I don't even know Spanish. So I celebrate my Cuban side, but ultimately I um, have just interacted way more with my American side. So that's kind of where I'm at. That's where I come from. Yeah, I can also verify that you don't speak Spanish, which is ironic, uh, being that you actually look much more Hispanic than I do, and I do actually speak uh, <laughs> Well, you know what else is ironic is that people will ask me all the time, they're like, hey, do you speak Spanish? I'm like, no. And they're like, wow, you're not really Cuban. And I'm like, you didn't ask if I speak German, but right? you have no problem accepting that I'm oh, German. No problem. Yeah, like, no, of course. Like, oh, of course. Someone, Double now, standards now, abound. To be fair, if someone follows through on that and they ask if I speak German and do that, all right, fair enough. Then you're culturally um, – you're, you're, you're culturally biased both ways, and that's fine. Like, at least be consistent with how terrible right. you are or how good you are. But, but don't be inconsistent with it. That's not cool. Right, exactly. I hate all peoples equally. Yeah. No, for sure. Well, it's, it, it's really interesting you bring that up because I have a very similar background, and I think it's part of the reason why we connected so much. Uh, for me, my mom is Puerto Rican, um, and I consider myself half Puerto Rican, but she actually is, is a quarter – or half Puerto Rican and half uh, very uh, down South white. Uh, my grandfather on her side that I never met, never had any interaction with. I don't even know if he knew I existed. Hmm. Um, he uh, came from Potentoc, Mississippi. He's a country singer, um, very talented by all accounts, uh, but he he was uh, very addicted to uh, substance abuse. And I think that might be something we can talk about in a later Um, you know, episode together is, is, you know, why, you know, substance abuse as Christians is such an issue and why we should be more uh, talking about, you know, these issues, but that's for another episode. Uh, So he, he died, never met him. So I really consider myself half Puerto Rican. And then my, my father's side is Argentinian Italian, Uh, all immigrants. So uh, my, my grandmother was born in uh, Puerto Rico. My great grandmother was born in Puerto Rico. My uh, dad was born in Toronto. Uh, my mom was raised partially in Puerto Rico. So uh, very much a multicultural background. Uh, but what's interesting is I have a huge, like, oh, I have to explain. Okay. So on my dad's side, my dad's mom, uh, she's a fourth generation Adventist. I'm a sixth generation Adventist on that side. And her great, 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 great grandfather, some with the ancestors were Huguenots in France. Um, and if you know anything of that, those were one of the first Protestants in France. And there was a bunch of wars um, in the in the 17th century and later on in the 18th century. Um, and they basically got kicked out, pushed out. They, they moved to France, uh, sorry, Switzerland, uh, into the French Alps. Um, and they were pushed from there uh, by force and persecuted. And so they left and went to Argentina. And then later on, they read these these books by this Adventist author who had gone to Switzerland. They tried to keep in touch with the old country. Um, and these books were in French. And uh, that is how they found the Adventist method, message. And my great, I think, great-great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather, one of those greats, was the first Adventist in Argentina. 
started up the church there. So on that side, there's a huge Protestant Reformation background. Every other side was Catholic up until like the last generation. So it's interesting to me because uh, my Puerto Rican side was like Shiite Catholic, man, like very hardcore Catholic. Um, and then uh, this is what's interesting is a coal porter came to my grandmother's house. She was trying to uh, raise my, my mom as a single mom, uh, you know, in the sixties, in the seventies. And he came and was selling these, these Bible books, these Bible stories. And she read them. They happen to be uh, my Bible stories for Adventists who are out there is written by an Adventist author, just uh, Bible stories. And she started reading them and went to ask more questions. And the only family that happened to be doing a Bible study in her neighborhood were Adventists. So uh, that's how she came. And then my grandfather, uh, very easy, simple story, uh, moved from Italy to Argentina to escape the war, did not want to be involved with fascists. Um, and then he moved next to a very pretty blonde girl who went to church on Saturday and did all these weird things. And <laughs> he ended up uh, going to church because he was interested in her and they ended up getting married. After uh, he he was converted and and uh, you know became a member yeah. of the church, so that's that's how my family all met. And the reason why I bring this up and the reason why I kind of want to get a little bit of our background is because I have a question about this. Um, and and Ryan, I just what are your thoughts on what the role or purpose of the church should be in the community? Um, so this is. This is, I mean, this answer alone, I guess, could take the entire, um, yeah, you know, the the entire episode. For so, sure. For sure. And well, it, like, you know, obviously this is a huge question, but if you could just kind of sum it up. Yeah, and, yeah. so and, I'll give you, I'll give you, you know, uh, give it a, a kind of like. I'll give you three things yeah. um, that I think are, are really okay. important. Number one, um, ultimately you're uh, showing a representation of God's character in your community. So I think that's, that's number one. Um, of a church in the community is you're revealing God's love and God's character to that community. Um, so that's number one. Number two, I think uh, the church is there to serve its community um, or to, in, in a in a more intentional word, I would say to better its community. Um, and so by this, um, I mean actually being a part of the community, helping to invest in it, um, not just financially, but also with manpower, with support, um, by throwing its your weight behind it. Now, this I do not mean politically. I don't mean you know. I don't necessarily mean that way um, in building up the state, um, but I mean just bettering the community, making it a better, more positive place to live, uh, giving people um, taking care of their needs and, and supporting them. So, bettering your community uh, by taking care of it. Um, and then number three um, is ultimately to um, uh, how do I want to say this? Um, Okay, here, uh, to uh, provide a place of worship. That's going to be, I think, the way I would put that. To provide a place of community and fellowship worship um, that's intentional, that is um, consistent, and that is um, that is dependable. So um, those would be the three things that I would say uh, when it comes to a church in the community. Um, and I don't know if you kind of resonate with those, but if I had to just, you know, off the top of my head, three things that I would focus on, it would be those three. No, I, I, I agree with you. I'm with you on that. I thought it was interesting. Now, it, do you feel like the order that you put them in is in any – does that have significance or is it just those three things in any particular order? Um, I think there's some significance in that I actually think that the place of worship um, 
it's kind of it's the easiest one to do, but I think it should be the last place of our focus. Um, unfortunately, I think that our order is flipped right now. But I, um, the reason I put it last is a, it is the easiest thing to do, but b, it is the most internally focused of the three things. Um, the other two tend to put other people before you, while the worship service tends to be uh, starting from an in to out perspective, um, and the worship service by focusing only on it um, can actually very easily and very quickly detract from what you are trying to do with the other two. Uh, that's a, that's a, yeah, I, I I'm with you on that. I'm definitely with you on that. I think. Um, would you add anything? We, would you change anything? No, I, I don't think I would change it to me. I, I'm, you know, I think that equates really well with the early church community. I think we've learned a lot since then, and you have to adjust your church experience um, for the culture that you are in. But to me, I really think that the human experience is radically similar across time in my personal experience. Um, I, I just, I go to, I've been, I've been very privileged to be a lot of different places around the world um, and be able to worship in a lot of those places. And um, it's just, it's very similar, you know, people, people ultimately are people. Um, we differ in some of the things we do. Um but very rarely do you find a culture where it's something that is so completely radical and crazy. It just doesn't make common sense. Um, most often it's a religious thing, ironically. But, you know, I just think that the early church, I think, did a lot of things right. And and that was definitely the order that you put them in. I found that interesting uh, was definitely um right on with what they did. You know, they created a space, they made their communities better. They were notorious for doing that. Um, and, and then they, they did, they literally had a place of worship. And what's interesting is that their place of worship was more often than not a home. And I want to get into, you know, home churches and that whole debate, but I find it interesting that that was their big thing, that those homes eventually became these, such a landmark that, the next person who owned the home ended up donating it and they, and they just became permanent places of worship. But it was just, it was, it was, you know, people would meet up for a meal because they were Christians in that, in that town. And it became so obvious that they would always go to Jason's house or whatever, um, which is a biblical name. Um, And so they would go to Jason's house and, and Jason's house just became so popular that, that, that they were just like, well, this is, this is the place to meet to talk about Jesus. And I think it's interesting because the, the paradigm in Acts was that church was a lifestyle, whereas the paradigm now is that church fits into your lifestyle. So exactly. um, there was a so that, that, that's a significant shift. And, and it, if in case anyone thinks that I'm trying to just make a tweetable statement, let me let me explain that. Um, church literally called you to radically following Christ called you to radically change the way you were living. People were bringing all of their extra stuff and selling them, donating them to the apostles and getting them and using those resources to support people in the community. Um, This was, we talk about right now, um, church, you go on a Saturday or, you know, if you're not Adventist, a Sunday um, typically, and you go to church and then you go home and anything extra that the church calls on you to do, you're doing out of, you're inconveniencing yourself to do it. and ultimately, if it calls you to walk away from too much of your life, you won't do it. But the church was your life if you joined it. Um, and it, this didn't necessarily, I don't mean this in a way of you only focused in on yourselves and the church wasn't cult-like, um, though obviously it's gotten that criticism over the years and over the centuries. Um, but it became the church was your life and your life was 
devoted to serving and helping others and worshiping God. So that that kind of explains that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, For that's sure. kind of. So yeah, no, no, but I agree with you. Um, and I do find it odd as well that I put that in that order. That was not intentional. Um, I just kind of did and then realized that that was well, a really good order. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. No, but, and that's the thing is that that's kind of why I sprung it on you in that way is, you know, a lot of times the way we do things just knee jerk, um, I think has a lot more influence than, than we think about, you know, and sometimes we'll go, ah, oh, maybe I'll change it up. But I think, you know, our subconscious, when we, when we ask that, um, if we're being true to ourselves, you know, I asked a question of my youth group when I was working down in Texas and I said, if you could design a perfect, you know, Wednesday night service, what would you guys want in it? And interestingly enough, they mentioned all these wonderful things, small groups, discussion, um, music, uh, questions, Bible study. Nobody said sermon. Nobody mm-hmm. said sermon. And then when I brought it up, I go, it's interesting. You didn't mention sermon. They're like, oh, well, we need a sermon. And I was like, wait, why? I'm out. <laughs> yeah, no, really. And, and they were like, well, we have to. And I said, why? And they were like, well, because uh, we always have, and they were just so culturally attuned to having a sermon that I was like, but you didn't want it. You didn't put it in there. That's significant. Um, here's why I asked that question. And this is the real question that I think we want to get to today. Uh, does service and evangelism have to be for conversion only? And let me explain what I say by evangelism. True evangelism, the core of it, the, the real nitty-gritty, what the actual Greek word means and the way that it was understood back in the day, was just sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody. Does that have to be that and, and service, like you were saying, what the church does, the, the helping with the community? Obviously, the worship part is its own thing, but the uh, creating a, a community and, and, and you know bettering the community that you're in, the secular community— does that have to be for conversion only? Um, so here, this is going to be fun um, <laughs> because my answer is going to my answer is a little bit weird um, because I want to say no, but yes is actually my answer. Um, and this is what I mean. Um, I don't mean it's overtly for conversion only, um, but I think that no matter what kind of service you're doing. Um, I think that in the back of your mind, there's, or in the back, in the you know depths of your heart, there's this hope that whoever you're serving, or whatever you're doing, um, will result in someone converting. And so there's always that underlying kind of motivation. However, I don't think that that motivation determines the level of service that we give or the um, necessarily the method of service that we give. So does that? Does that make sense? Like, I think at our base level, we're always trying to spread the gospel and share the gospel. That is the ultimately what we're doing. But, um, but in in doing so, what you are actually doing is you are loving someone for who they are, and you are giving them this choice, this free choice, and you are respecting whatever their decision is. Um, but I do think at some sort of base level for every Christian, um, the service does end up being for conversion, just not for conversion only i guess so maybe no maybe yes a little bit of both both and either or i don't know uh, but that's kind of where i i sit right now looking at this question no for sure you know i it's interesting when you brought that up i asked a buddy of mine you know if if i did another podcast what should be on and he's uh here at the seminary with me and he brought up a really good point he said why don't we do a better job missionary having a missionary mind and serving in our communities here um and not just you know not just people who look and sound and think like us 
you know, we send missionaries out. Why don't we do it here? And I thought that was so interesting. Um, and, and I want to address that question directly in a little bit, but I, I think you brought up such a really good, interesting topic to kind of talk about because Matthew 25 clearly states out for us or 28, sorry. Um, you know, the, 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 the great commission that Jesus did, it's also an acts, you know, go into all the world, tell them about me, make disciples and baptize them. Right. So we are called to, to make more disciples. Uh, personally, I think that, um, the, the Holy spirit is the one that does conversion. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's where you're, where you're at is that we create environments for the Holy spirit to work. Yeah. Um, and I think oftentimes we try to force the Holy spirit and then we're, we're, we're confused about why people leave. <laughs> um, when we're the ones who did all the work and we're like, I don't get it. I worked so hard. It's like, yeah, well they didn't fall in love with God. They fell in love with you or a pastor leaves, you know, mm-hmm. as a youth pastor, it's, you know, such a vacuum comes up when uh, we were talking about this last time about dependence, right? You know, it's all about me. It's not about the Holy spirit. So the Holy spirit does the converting, but I do think that we, we go in with this idea of, I want to make your life better. And the best way to do that is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That being said, I want to talk about something really quickly. Um, I'm just going to throw it out there and I want to get your just, just dead on thoughts about this disinterested kindness. Hmm. What does that sound like to you? Um, Disinterested kindness, I think to me um, speaks actually of a very um, selfish kindness. So just those two words, just, just that, 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 that term in itself Um, to me, it says I'm being kind to you, but I'm not really, I don't really care about what happens to you after I leave. I don't really care about anything with your life. I care about showing some bare minimum of kindness that satisfies my need or my desire to feel like I did something good today or this week or whatever. So I think disinterested kindness um, actually um, is an interested kindness, but it's only interested in in selfish motivation and not um, the betterment of someone else. Does that, does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> no, it, it does. And that's why I brought it up. It's interested. Um, it was explained to me in kind of a different way, but I think that that, that, that sentiment, I think we get uh, very much, we can see that. Um, when we talk about giving into a community, should we give without strings? Yes or no? Um, yes. If that, I mean, if we're, if we're giving to the community, yes. That's what giving is. Absolutely. Okay. When we talk about that, why is it then, and I'm not, and again, I'm I, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate a little bit, but why is it then that whenever we have a church event, we are <clears throat> so interested in making sure that people receive a church how do I say this? A religious um, experience. And by that, let me explain. Mark Marin is a great comedian, does a joke. And I don't know if we're allowed to say him on here. Like I'll pay the 50 cents or whatever for, for good. Talk, but he does this great joke about how, yeah, uh, he does this great joke about how, um, you know, uh, uh, there are no atheist soup kitchens. And so he joked it. He said, if, you know, people, if atheists did have a soup kitchen, um, Homeless people would rather go to the religious one because they go, even though they're going to talk to us there, um, at least they're not depressing. And it's a very funny joke. It's a very funny bit. Um, But to me, I found that interesting. I go, you know, why is it the rep that um, 
even though we do these things for the community, you're going to have to sit down. And I realized I stopped and asked myself, I said, have I ever been to an Adventist function where there wasn't Adventist literature there or there wasn't a worship service or there wasn't something there? And and while I understand, yes, your identity as a, as a religious institution needs to be kept, I just thought, man, why don't we ever just have a community function? Yeah. Um, have you ever been to an ad? Let me, let me ask you then for, form that into a question. Have you ever been to an, uh, an Adventist or religious uh, community event that didn't try to force, and, and I'm saying this again, very devil's advocate, tongue in cheek, force religion on people. Um, and should that even happen in your opinion? Um, <laughs> this is going to sound so self-serving, but yes, I have because I did it. Um, <laughs> uh, um, but, but, Make the plug, but I, make the I don't, plug. He's given me 30 uh, bucks. But to I do don't think that, I did it so. to the level that you're talking about. So um, my churches did um, a family f- kind of festival last year. Um, both churches did one. And um, we did have a table of literature present, um, but no one sat at that table. And, um, we were, we had inflatables, we, we cooked hot dogs, beef, turkey, and vegetarian. Um, and we, um, had some lawn games out. And so most of the day was and and like fruits and vegetables and stuff. Right. So most of the day was spent just hanging out with people and, um, and having fun. We had literature out in case someone wanted to know about us. But at no point did we ever tell someone, hey, you need to go check out the table or did we hand someone something without their permission? Does that make sense? Um, because the, the, the festival was actually yeah. on our church property. So it kind of goes to reason that they might want to know and we should have something on hand and ready to go. But the event was not at all. There was no worship. We didn't pray with anyone who came in unless like they wanted us to pray with them. Um, and we had about 80 people come through. Um, and this was just purely have, have a good day, have some fun, have some free food and then go home, do whatever you want. Um, but that's the rarity. Usually we make sure everyone has a glow track or I, I say we in, as a church, my churches haven't done that much cause I don't have the manpower or finances for it. Um, but typically, yeah, you're always seeing, um, something being forced on people. Yeah, no, uh, I, I, I hear what you're saying. My church did something similar. Uh, my youth group, and again, it is self-serving yeah, to I know, say right? this, um, but but we did have someone at the table. I will say we weren't as as good as you were about it. Um, but you know, we we did the uh, harvest festival. Um, we said, you know, we're in Texas. Um, there are people, uh, especially in the Adventist church, that don't really believe you should celebrate Halloween, and so we wanted to provide an alternate. Yeah. You know, if you want to come in and and just have you know fun, still celebrate kind of the idea of Samhain of you know a harvest time of coming together and and really. Uh, enjoying time as a community and so we had that and but we did have you know a table there it, it wasn't front and center um was to the side and we but we mentioned it in the announcements and kind of a thing but i i loved that concept um but that it's just it, it's it to me it felt like um you're trying to bail out a boat you know with a thimble uh, as far as the reputation that we have as a christian community um and especially as an Adventist community, uh, tends to be very much uh, the the opposite of that. That if, if you come, you know, you're getting strings attached. I, I'm I'm on the fence. I got to be honest about this whole thing of whether or not we should. Um, 
you know, I I would love to have an evangelistic series where we didn't uh, call people to baptism. You know, where there wasn't a, a, a huge call. I would love to try that and see what happens and just and just say, God, um, I'm not going to do a huge altar call. I'm not going to put that up. I'm just going to open it and and see what you do. Um, well, I think I think I don't know if it's good, bad or ugly. I just think it's an interesting thing just to say, here's this amazing thing. If you are interested, talk to me more. Um I just, we're here well, to serve and, you. And is, we're here I mean, to I think you can have members you. go and ask like, Hey, do you want to do a Bible study or something like that? Like you can, you can do altar calls in different ways. Of course. Yeah. 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 On a personal, but yeah, not yeah, from yeah. the yeah, front, exactly. you know, not from the front Just say, this is, we want to give this to you. There are no strings attached. Um, you know, we, we don't want to. And if you come back at the same thing, every, you know, this is, we, if you want to be a part of this community, um, join us. And, and to me, I think there's so much more value, you know, uh, people join clubs in the secular world because they are interested in what's happening. People will join clubs that they don't even like if they see that there's a vibrant community there. Um, I knew a guy in his, his school, he joined chess club because the people in there were just awesome. He hated chess. He didn't like chess. Um, but he joined it because it was such a, a, awesome community he's like i don't even care if i lose every single yeah you know every single match i want to be a part of these these you know these guys are amazing people do that for band i i joined a swim club you know same type of thing i do love swimming uh, i hate laps but i joined a swim team you know in the summer because of that you know people will do things that they don't even enjoy because they see that and i'm not saying that that's why people should join a church i definitely think that's a great reason to join church. Well, and that's a reason that God put there. Okay. Um, but not, not to, not to believe in God. Let me rephrase just to clarify a little bit to join a particular congregation. If that makes any sense, that's a great reason to join this congregation. Um, the belief system I think is separate, but to say you should come and and, and, and if you are, someone who believes something that is similar to us. I think it's awesome if you, if you come in, you know, as an Adventist and go, man, I'm willing to drive 45 minutes out of my way because I see that this is awesome. Or for a non-Christian to see how Christians treat each other and go, I need to ask more about this Jesus guy, because look how incredible this community is. That's not the only reason. That's not the first reason, but I think it's, it's just to me, I think it, it would be interesting to see what would happen if we just started giving and with more strings attached and and we had our evangelism be just that just sharing the gospel rather than you know just just blanketing an area with uh calling cards and and so you mean less you know, strings attached book materials you said more but, but uh, yeah, less yeah so okay so exactly, so, exactly. at but, some point jesus did say follow me though um and and so i, I, I but but discipling right, and discipleship um it was based on relationships, not based on a class. Um, and so I agree with you in that I think we should be building relationships with people. Um, and that's how we, that's how we bade, that's how we bid them to follow Jesus. Um, but ultimately if someone wants to be a part of the community, I'm never going to be like, Oh, you don't want to get baptized. Well, you're not welcome here anymore. Um, and I think that's the wrong attitude that, that we have, which is if you want to be a part of this community, then at some point um, you have to, 
do you have to you have to jump in that's not true now if you want the full benefits of being a part of the community then yeah you have to dive in right if you want to be a member of the church you have to get baptized and and um and become a member so that you can have voting privileges in the church and whatever but if you want to be a part of the community as part of just the community, then you are always welcome to be a part of it. But there are some people that just don't believe that. Um, but I, I definitely think um, yeah. when it comes to giving without strings attached, I mean, what's the purpose of why are you present? Why are you doing what you're doing? If you are doing something with the express purpose of we are trying to invite people to this event that we're doing, that's fine. Then go ahead and do it. Um, but if you are doing something because you just want to make your community better, then do it to make your community better. My big thing, this I think this is where this question, should we give without strings attached? I think this is where it's it settles in my mind. Um, what are you publicizing? Um, whatever your motivation is, that should be what's publicized. So if your motivation is to get people in your pews or in your chairs, then by all means, let them know that. Like, hey, we would love for you to come to church this weekend, or we would love for you to come to our meetings about this topic tonight. I don't care what it is, but just be honest about it, right? Um, if you're there to serve, then you tell them uh, when they ask, why are you here? You say, hey, I just want to do something nice for you today. Or, hey, we just really want to be a better. We want to be a part of making this community better because we are a part of this community. Um, so for me, I think it comes down to honesty and transparency um, with your motivations for why you are present and serving. That's that's so I think you really kind of ended the debate on that. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to. I think, I, that, that, I, think, I mean, you no, 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 no. It was great because I was like, I was as you were talking. I'm like, oh, that's where we can kind of, you know. And I'm like, oh no, huh, that that's a great point. Um, <laughs> I appreciate. And I was that. thinking about all this because honestly, because honestly, what I was going to bring up when I was thinking about all this is, you know, one of the reasons why I'm on the fence is Jesus went into these communities and just healed people. Yeah, and then he went off in the corner somewhere and started talking. And I go, he didn't come in and say, and if you want to know more, I'm talking over here. He just let the crowds follow him. He just did what he did. And and to be fair, especially, I don't know, outside of the Adventist community uh, how this is, but I know in our Adventist community, we are very good about doing that with medical health, with, um, you know, like the CHIP program and microchip and all this, uh, you know, with uh, uh, which is coronary heart, um, something, something uh, helping plan. Um, and, and it's just it's basically to to help with your heart and or to help with diabetes or, you know, all these clinics. We do a very good job of just coming in and healing people. And it follows, you know, that really biblical method that Jesus used. And and I go, man. I think we need to do that more like I, I want to encourage that sense more because then when people see that and they go, oh, you were at, like like you were saying at your that little community event you did, you had it on the property. People knew that it was a Christian who did this. And I think it's interesting that, you know, that's all it should take, that that it really should be just, hey, we are Christians, we're Adventists, we're Methodists, we're whatever from this church over here. We just want to help you. Um, we just want to, you know, help out because of Jesus in our life, because of the example he he made for us. We want to help out. Yeah. Um, so this is this is and this is why I'm I'm bringing this up, and and the reason why it just piqued me so much is if you listen to stories of missionaries who go abroad, they have oftentimes perfected how to bring Christ into a community. Um. Why do we send so many missionaries abroad 
and not have that same mentality that they have here? Why do you think that happens? Um, some, uh, I think it's completely ethnocentric. Um, I actually, to some extent, I think it's racist. Um, and I don't mean to make everything about racism, but I, I, it's definitely ethnocentric and based on patriotism, um, based in, in some roots of nationalism, um, in that, um, because we believe, and we've been, we've grown up believing that where we live is the best place to live. Um, and many of us, at least in the kind of middle-class Christian, that is the most common type of Christianity, uh, in America, um, yeah, you're taught it's there are third world countries that are bad. And then we realize that, you know, and we completely ignore that there are places in the deep south um, that actually have terrible living conditions. There's a place, I think, in Alabama that um, was it time or some other some other world. No, the World Health Organization, I think it was, um, actually said that the conditions in some place in, in the deep south and I think it was Alabama or Mississippi. Um, was actually that or worse of third world countries. You've got places like Flint, Michigan, right, yeah. which crime rate wise and uh, health wise makes Detroit look like a uh, looks like paradise. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, we're we're well, you can drink the water in Detroit. Yeah, so um, you've got you've got Hollywood, which we think of Hollywood as this great, amazing thing that we have to go visit. If you go down Hollywood Boulevard, uh, is it Boulevard? I think it's Hollywood Boulevard. I don't know what the actual street is. Yeah, it's, it's Boulevard. Yeah. So if you go down that road, and I don't know this 100% for sure, I just only know this from from anecdotal stories of other people, um, it's actually super run down and gross and dirty, and like it's overrun with, with homeless people. Um, and yeah. I don't mean overrun with homeless people like, oh, how dare those homeless people take over our – no, I mean like there's legitimate problems in problem areas in our country. I once in Chattanooga, Tennessee stood in the middle of a four-way gang standoff in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, and I thank God that I'm still alive and nothing happened, but that happened. Um, and so, but we are conditioned to ignore all of that and to look at the outside world as them needing us. And I have a friend who is from uh, Guam, I think. Um, and, um, Someplace uh, and I think it was, I think it's Guam. I could be wrong, but I'm just not going to say her name uh-huh. and then I can't get in trouble. Um, <laughs> she, uh, but she was telling me that, that Southern, um, sent students, uh, student missionaries, um, and they came to help them and they were like, no, we, we're fine. Like we're good. <laughs> we don't, I mean, you guys can come be a part of this community and teach, but we don't need you. Like we're fine. Um, so I think the reason we send missionaries abroad is actually because of a very, very ethnocentric and sometimes racist uh, view of other countries to say they're the ones in need. And we as Americans or we as North America, wherever you know, whatever country we're at, I don't know what the, the state of mission work is in other countries. I can only speak of, of the United States, um, but it's a very ethnocentric basis of we have it great and you guys have it terrible. That's and that's and that's I think, you know, because I know you, this is not to knock anyone who is called to the mission field. I think it is very important. And there are places of the world that desperately need Jesus Christ. However, that does not mean that it doesn't need it here. They need it more so than we do here. I think that's more what you're saying. If you are, if you are called, screw those. You if know, you are called to be a missionary yeah. overseas, then by all means, go be a missionary overseas, right? Like I'm not telling sure. anyone. I'm not trying to discount or disqualify someone else's experience or calling. I'm just saying that the only place to be a missionary is not abroad. Um, there are people yeah, that course, are called to course. be domestic missionaries, absolutely, and there is a need for it. Yeah, I, you know, it's so interesting 
how we think of we we had a professor together at Southern, and uh, he came to teach in the United States as a missionary. Just stop and think about that. A <laughs> university professor from South Africa heard about what was happening in the states and goes, "Man, God is calling me to be a missionary there." It just it throws you for a loop when you hear about that, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. It, it really does. You're like, wait, what? Um, there's an area here uh, near where I'm at in in southwestern Michigan, uh, where the illiteracy rate in high school is in the double digits. Hmm. Um, it is ridiculous, and 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 I'm not going to name that community. If you're in the area, you know what area I'm talking about. Um, it's ridiculous. And, and it, you know, a lot of it boils down to the history of the region. A lot of it boils down to, uh, the, the, uh, socioeconomic status of that area. Um, but that is inexcusable. Yep. That's a mission. Field. Absolutely. That should be, I think we need field. to expand and that's our right. of, of what mission work actually is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that mentality for us when we send people out, we send them out with the idea that you are there to serve. When we have church here in the States, we come with an expectation of I am here to be served. And I think to me, that is the wrong mentality we need to I have. Would, I would actually see, and, and from where I'm coming from, I don't even see it as we send people to serve. I see it as uh, in many cases, not all the time. Please, please, no one write in to me and tell me that I'm disqualifying all missionaries. Ah, you're wrong. I think we send people to save. I think we really send people with a savior and hero mentality. Um, and so they're not even serving, but their job is to save and transform everything there. Um, and then the culture shock usually dampens that pretty quickly. But um, yeah, I think even our, I mean, I think there's there's problems in the missionary mindset from the systems point of view on all fronts, but I would, I, and I agree with you. I'm just saying that I think that we also send to save instead of to serve too often. I would agree with that. And, and I also think that the idea, you know, for so many years, we've, we've sent people out with the concept of go make them like us. Yeah. Because we only want to serve people who look and sound and think like us. We save people from this different culture. And you, I'll give you a perfect, for instance, um, I went to a church uh, that was predominantly African, African, from Africa, African. I'm not saying African-American. It was not a black church. This was an African church. They were all wearing suits with ties and shirts because that is what they grew up wearing in Africa. The sweltering heat, and this is the hot part of Africa, right? This isn't like, you know, the mountainous, nice, airy region. They were from a hot part of Africa, and they said, yeah, we all grew up. Now, granted, their shirts were, you know, short sleeve, but they grew up wearing suits because the missionaries who went over there said the way you yep. worship God is yep. with a suit. Absolutely. They were not wearing their traditional clothing. They were not wearing – they were wearing white man's clothing. For, 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 the, for the lack of a better term of it, that yeah. was what they were wearing, the missionaries – were Caucasian. They came over. They said, this is how you worship God. Now, 
I don't think that that the intent was to be racist. I don't think it was malicious, but it was nevertheless because they came over here to the States and looked exactly mm-hmm. like us. And they teach others. And sounded exactly us. like us. They knew hymns from the our Seventh Adventist hymnal that I didn't even know. And I grew up in a conservative, you know what I mean? Like they memorized that thing. And I'm like, oh man, do you know any songs from Africa? They're like, yes. Blessed be the tie that. And they started singing like our hymns. I'm, I'm, not our hymns. They're, they're singing American hymns. And I'm like, dude, I just, I do find you it- not like have your own music. Like, like I was not offended or shocked. I was just like, like, I like that was your home country. You can worship God in your own language. And, and obviously they do. And I'm not, you know, that's a huge stereotype of, of all of Africa. That did not happen everywhere. That mm-hmm. does not happen everywhere. I'm just saying, I saw that I experienced it. It happened. And from what I heard from them, they are not the only area of Africa that that has happened to. They're not the only part of the yeah. world that that has happened to. You can go to uh, Asia and see that you can go to uh, parts of South America and see that as well. Um, where they, you know, they sing these hymns and, and all they do is change the words, but the culture is lost and it becomes Americanized. Well, and I, you know, I also find it funny when I look at annual council or anything where, where multiple divisions send delegates and uh, everyone is wearing a suit. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not saying like I fully expect that those from the South American division or Africa, I don't, I actually don't know the name is, it, I don't know what the division in Africa is called. Um, there, there are okay. two. Yeah, okay. But yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm not saying I expect them to show up in, like, full tribal garb. That's not my point. Um, I just find it funny that the dress code is suit and tie. Um, for all, But they all should. And to me, I think they should. Um, I just I just find it funny. Yeah. Like, that's, all, that's all. Like. Uh, no, yeah. No, no, for sure. Because this is, and this it's just an interesting concept. In order to be taken seriously and not be thought of as these primitive savages, you have to show up looking like the businessman, yeah, the white businessman. And 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 to me, I go, yeah, I, I definitely think that shows up. Well, um, you know, and 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 that's not to say that you can't express your own style in a suit, and that's not to say that there's anything necessarily wrong in that. But I think that your own culture is beautiful, and it just goes back to what I was saying. It gives that idea that. I will not serve you. I will not take you seriously unless you look and sound like me. Why do you think we do that? I mean, why do you think we only serve people that look and sound and think like us, you know? Well, first of all, I want to go back and and kind of fix my statement a little bit, um, which is um, that I don't necessarily care one way or another if everyone wears a suit or not, wear whatever you want. Um, Because I think it's it's equally racist. Um, It's racist one way to say, everyone should wear a suit. And it's also racist to say you have to dress your way because either way, I'm still making them conform to what I think they should wear. Um, Absolutely. So, so I just want to make it 100% clear Wear whatever you want is my kind of, you know, my kind of stance there. Um, and, and, and there were people who did show up in their cultural <laughs> oh, garb, yeah, by the way, yeah. at GC and stuff. And it was yeah. awesome. Um, but I just, I just really wanted to make that clear, um, because it's really easy oh, to sure. jump into that boat by accident. Um, and that's not what I'm about. Um, I think the reason we tend to only serve people who think and look like us is because that's, um, who we're the most comfortable with. That's either who we most understand, um, or that's who we're least afraid of because we, um, we feel like we understand them more. We feel like we have more common ground with them, whatever else. Um, so there is this tendency to look for people who think or look like us because it's easier for us to relate. It's less work. 
Um, and it's not an intentional decision. I don't think it's always, you know, fully conscious. I think it's a subconscious thing, but we're just drawn towards people who look and think like us. That's why echo chambers exist too. Uh, we're just naturally attracted to that kind of, um, that kind of place. Um, it is a lot more work. It's a lot harder. It's a lot messier, um, to enter into a culture that you don't understand or is not like you at all and, um, to fully embrace, uh, working with them and building a relationship with them. So it's just easier. Like, it's just easier to work with people who look and think like us. Do you think that, I mean, it segues kind of into the, the next idea concept or should we as Christians allow that kind of egocentrism, um, egocentricism, whatever. Um, English is hard. Egocentrism. Should, yes. Oh, there it is. It's You said it so easily. It just flipped off your tongue. Oh, my I'm goodness. Public speaking is what I have to do. <laughs> um, I feel shamed that I'm a student now. All right. Uh, do you think – I'm not even going to try it. Do we do this as Christians? Should we allow this to happen when it comes to service? Um, I don't think it should get to the point of egocentrism, but I do think that there is a certain element of you do reach the people who look and think like you. Like it, it's it's blatantly obvious um, that you can be more effective reaching those people, right? Like I can reach people who've dealt with loss in their family a lot easier than someone who hasn't um, because my dad died. Um, I can deal with someone who's faced cancer or even faced cancer scares because I've had a couple myself. Um, I've had one cancer scare myself um, just a couple of years ago. Um, and yeah. my mom has dealt with cancer three times. So like I can talk with those people and level with them a lot better. So to some extent, I actually think it's a positive thing, but I see this more along the lines of Paul where he says, become all things to all people. Um, there's a place for being with people who think and look like you, but there's a place also for people who, for being with people who don't. Um, so I do think it's bad if that's all we focus on. Um, if our eyes are and our perspectives are not being shifted into intentional and this is something you have to be intentional about you have to force yourself to interact with you have to force yourself um and and have others hold you accountable um to actually doing because none of us naturally want to do it um but no i don't think we should become egocentric but i do think there is a place for working with people who think or look like us as well yeah you just brought up a really good point you know you feel comfortable uh it's hard for me to do the type of evangelism that we are used to in the Adventist church and definitely uh, in Christianity, which is go out into a quote unquote secular community, um, knock on doors, go meet people and try to share the gospel with them. You know, Bible worker very much that way. I'm, I'm not, that's not me. I'm not a Bible worker. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how to relate to people in that way. I grew up in a church. I grew up, an Adventist church. Um, it's, it's, I'm uncomfortable with it. I'm not good at it. Um, but you know, if I meet somebody on a gaming, you know, on a gaming platform or in an arc, well, arcades are, man, that's, it's over now. Um, in a comic <laughs> book over. store, or, you know, if I meet somebody at a coffee shop and, and, you know, I start talking about Reddit, um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we meet, we, we, we can meet people like that. My cousin, I just went up to Canada to visit some of my family up there. Uh, like I said, my dad was born in Toronto. It's his family up there. And uh, one of my cousins is engaged to a guy who's a part of a motorcycle club. And he brought us into uh, a, a get together they were having. And everyone was kind of nervous because we don't drink. And, you know, we're pastors. You know, my brother and I were there. And, and we're both studying here at the seminary to be pastors. And so there was kind of this tension 
And uh, we just walked in and because we're because of who we are, we just found points of connection with everybody. And, And I will be completely honest. We walked into a Sons of Anarchy type party. I mean, they weren't drugs and, and, you know, hookers or nothing, but it, it was, you know, tatted up dudes, a lot of leather, a lot of guys that looked like they could, you know, just, just pound me into ground meat um, and then serve me up on a hamburger, man. It was just huge, <laughs> bald, tatted up dudes. And uh, we just started being ourselves and hook. And um, by the end, I mean, we've talked to everybody. We've covered topics from, uh, you know, different food styles to one guy even is starting up a youth uh, uh, shelter um, for, you know, uh, displaced or um, at risk youth in the Toronto area. And he invited us up. He's like, oh, my gosh, you guys are both youth pastors. And my brother was a social worker. They're like, oh, next time you guys come, come be a part of it. And I thought, man, how crazy is this that just because they don't look and talk and think like us. And granted, uh, the majority of them were Caucasian as we were, but it didn't matter race. This was, you know, culture, even though their culture was different than us. Yeah. Well, it didn't matter. We just met them and we talked to them and we found points of connection. Um yeah, absolutely. And and it was a ministry of presence. And and our, you know, our soon to be cousin um was just blown away and was so grateful for that, you know, that we didn't come in and just like, oh, you guys drink, oh, you guys ride my, you know, that we just came in and were so open and friendly and able to engage. Uh, he he was just blown away. He was, you know, over the moon. He thought it was great. So yeah. so my question then, kind of as we start to to kind of bring us to a to a circle, um I'm a huge advocate and proponent for discipleship. You're a huge advocate and proponent for discipleship. You don't know that. You don't know my life. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I, I am. I am. <laughs> I stalk you <laughs> I all the time. Um, it turns out it's a New Year's resolution for my birthday. Uh, I really just want to be better <laughs> about disciples. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I read your thoughts, Becker. Um, no, so uh, how do we balance because discipleship is very inward looking and it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think we, we need to focus on that. We need to make ourselves better Jesus followers and we need to be intentional as communities about doing that. How do we balance that desire, that passion um, with a desire to serve and evangelize communities, you know, really truly evangelize, not just this thing that we've made it, but actually go out and share the gospel by living it out Um in the ways that we've discussed and in, in, in the manner that we've discussed, um, how do we balance those two things? Um, the first thing is we bid, we, we bid people to, fo- we ask or, or call people to follow Jesus, not follow us. Um, and the second thing is that we empower them to be whatever Jesus is calling them to be. Um, and we let that roll, whatever, however radical that looks. Um, I mean, obviously, I guess it's within reason, but I mean, for and and that sounds super hyper realistic or hyper hyper idealistic is the word I think I want. Um, but really, that's it. I mean, evangelism. Now we're looking at this. Um, I think it's James Emery White is one of the um, top people when it comes to reaching a post church world or a post millennial world or post modern world right now. And he's with Mecklenburg Community Church here in Charlotte, and. Um, he um he basically great speaker by the way yeah. phenomenal public speaker he's amazing um but he talks about uh the evangelism scale and he says back in the days of Billy Graham and some of these other guys that would go into a city do a, a huge event and then dip after a, like you know 100,000 you know thousands of baptisms uh, was because uh, you had a more religious society that um mainly had a biblical knowledge and understanding where if you were to put it on a scale of 1 to 10 everyone was already like a 7 or an 8 and so all it took was that calling 
uh, that one cold call to jump them to a nine and a 10. Um, whereas now in today's society, um, because of the information age, because of the way that information is dispersed and the, the, um, the wide perspectives were kind of exposed to, um, and I don't mean exposed in a bad way, just we are, um, everyone now is like a one, two or a three and a cold call evangelism does not work on a one, two or a three. Um, it does not bump them up to a nine or a 10. And so evangelism, we need to slow down our idea of what evangelism is because evangelism and relation and discipleship are both centered now around relationship building. And it's true. I won't let you even, I mean, you're one of my best friends now, but before that, I would not let you speak into my life or, or get me to change my life if I don't know you. Not at all. However, if I somewhat already believed what you did and you told me to take the next step, I'd be more willing to believe you, which is what we were dealing with in the 70, 60s through the 80s. Now we're dealing with a totally different thing where you're talking with people who have no concept of what you're talking about or who have far ditched it and have forgotten more than you've ever known about it. And so now it becomes, I have to build a relationship with you and earn your trust and your permission to speak into that part of your life and to bid you to follow. So I think we need to see evangelism and discipleship as actually two things working kind of in concert with each other to say, uh, I'm going to build a relationship with you. And when you have, you know, if you ever decide to, to, to make that jump, to be baptized and, and to accept Jesus Christ, um, then I think that that relationship doesn't end. It keeps going because discipleship is a relationship. It is not a class. So that's kind of where I, I, I think that we balance the two um, by centering them around relationship building. So how do we then, obviously you and I are pastors. We have a different um it's a little bit different for us because this is our job. Um, but how do we, for our listeners and for us as Christians, you know, take off the pastor cap for a second? Um, what are some ways that we can go about um, starting to to serve and minister to people in different communities that don't sound like us that and, and keep that mission mindset, um, that missional mindset uh that we were talking about. How can we, what are some practical ways that we can do that um, right here, right now, starting, you know, this weekend, next weekend, whatever. Well, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, so number one, um, I think churches need to start equipping themselves with, with materials and um, resources um, to actually look into bettering people's lives. So here's what I mean by that. Um, I think churches need to actually start developing and people need to actually start developing um, positive relationships with uh, mental health counselors. That way, when someone comes into your church that has some mental illnesses, um, they need to um, – we need people that we can actually refer them to. If someone's dealing with grief, we need a counselor that we can refer them to. We need to stop putting the counselor role into the pastoral job. Um, as much as it is, there is some counseling that we do, obviously, but not in that not in that domain. Um, I don't think it's appropriate anymore. Um, number two, um, I think we need to build. Um, I think we need to empower our members more um, and um, empower them to do Bible studies or small groups on their own without the pastor present. So I think we need to start putting the ball in the members' courts into. Um, the layperson's court instead of just the minister's court, um, which means that lay people take up your arms and start moving. Like, you know what I mean? Like start doing things, 
just start doing things, um, show your commitment. And usually the church will jump in on whatever you're doing, or they'll want a piece of it anyways. So, um, just start doing something. Um, but I think, you know, I think we need to, um, also, I think churches need to sit down and really wrestle with what it looks like to serve the community and ask, and this is this is the most important thing. I'm actually trying to do this with one of my churches right now. One of my churches is in a neighborhood, literally in a neighborhood. I mean, if the end of our parking lot is a fence that goes into someone's backyard, right? So um, our, I want our idea of success to shift from being super involved in, in, in the city and taking care of the city and doing everything in the city um, that the church is in. And instead, um, I want the church's idea of success to shift um, from that to um, serving this neighborhood, that this church exists for this neighborhood, that this neighborhood is our community, um, and taking care of it. And that means providing food. That means providing um, maybe maybe we um, do a washer and dryer and let people come and do laundry or something. I don't know. You know, I don't. I, I genuinely like. I don't. I don't know what the what the, the 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 answer there is. But I think we need a fundamental shift and have to have some real conversations about um, about what it means, what it would take for the church, and what it would take for you as an individual to start taking care of your community and bettering your community without any strings attached. Um, maybe it's you pick up some trash when you're walking the sidewalk and accept that all trash is your trash to pick up. Uh, maybe that's what you start. Um, maybe it's um, going to volunteer somewhere. Um, I have members that volunteer at a homeless or a place that gives out um, supplies to homeless people, like materials and resources to homeless people. So maybe it's volunteering at a homeless shelter or something like that. Um, but doing something that is completely separate from inviting people to a religious service and diving into just community service for the sake of service. Um, so that would be some of the places that I would start. Um, and um and pray and see and 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 ask like god reveal to me the needs of this community show us the needs of this community open our eyes to see them if you've already revealed them and then show us the way in which we can um start to fulfill them so ask what are the needs of this community and what do i need to do to meet these needs that's great man no that that is really great um and i think that's stuff that anybody can do um you know, it really doesn't take, you don't need a PhD in systematic theology. Oh, um, yeah. Ask people, you know, how can we help? Um, and to me, I think that's much more in line with what Jesus actually did. You know, he just walked into a community, um, any place and, and, and just started helping people um, for sure. And, and I think that God is calling a lot of people to do it in their way. Um, this, this is the Ryan Becker you know, vision for it. Um, yeah, not everyone God might be podcast. calling you. Yeah, yeah. You know, God, God may be calling you to do a different thing. Maybe do your own podcast, or maybe you know, whatever it is that that you you know are called to. I think find that. Um, before we leave, Becker, I just want some some quick thoughts. Um, how does it feel to be a year older, man? Um, so you don't know this yet because I haven't told you, but about four hours before we recorded this, um, I also recorded a uh, um, a special birthday episode that is currently live at the time of recording this, um, which ha. I actually talked a little bit about that. Um, but I, I, I'll just let you know, um, and we can rehash some of those jokes too, because this is going to come out like two weeks after that, um, Right? is uh, number one, 
Um, it's great to not have to pay as much for car insurance anymore and to be able to rent a car at normal pricing right? because I'm 25. Right? This is the big 2.5, uh, man. But I will say, honestly, I don't feel that much different. And maybe it's because I'm in a place where I don't have a lot of friends. So um, like there's really not that many people to celebrate with and make a big deal about it. So it just kind of is, right? Like I woke up today, walked my dog, got a haircut, uh, cleaned my apartment a little bit, you know, just did whatever I needed to do for the day. I have to write. I still have to finish up my sermon for tomorrow. Um, you, yes, you caught me. I said, right. Um, but really what I mean is finish. I promise uh, I'm a responsible adult in that way. Um, but yeah, like it just kind of feels normal. And that's, that's, I think that's what, what being adult kind of is at this point um, is, you know, the excitement of things kind of has dulled down and you have to create that excitement yourself. Um, so I'm, I've treat, I'm going to treat myself. I'm debating whether I want to upgrade my microphone or get a new tennis racket. I'm still fighting with myself on that right now, but um, yeah, I, you know, I just kind of feel it is what it is, uh, because of everything that happened my senior year, I've always felt older than I actually am. I don't mean more mature. Yeah. I just mean older. I have people have had to remind me what my age is on occasion. Um, and so it is, it just kind of is what it is. And if you didn't tell me that today was my birthday, I probably wouldn't. I mean, obviously not you, but you know what I mean? Like it just kind of is a day at this point. And that's, <laughs> right, yeah. that's super depressing. And I'm sorry that it was like, oh, we need birthday fun. <laughs> um, oh man. Um, that's, Ended on a, on a, you know, no, doesn't it feel like, you know, you're, you're, you're 25 going on 38 or something. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, yeah, I exactly. bought, I bought home slippers for myself. Uh, so yeah, I have a church week. member and I was like, them. and like, how, I'm so excited quickly, about that. Seriously. Yeah. Like how quickly can you turn 57? Because I think I'm that right now. <laughs> like I'm with the exception. Like, of, I just, now, I want to put on a cardigan before, and yell at young people and judge okay. their music. But hold on before, because you know, this is going to happen. Someone's going to be like, you don't even know what it's like when you turn 57, you're going to wish you were your age again. All right. Of course. All right. Yeah. Listen, I'm thankful that my body can still do the things that it does. So chill. Of course. Um, I just mean like responsibility wise or whatever. Like I feel like I'm older than I am. And that's, Mental, I think, yeah. Like, I think a lot of people feel that way. I think it just is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I think it's part of growing up, you know, is you, you I get so excited um, just to see people. Like I don't need yeah. presence. Like I need presence. Yeah. Oh, there's Ooh, your so there's your there's your bump that's right there. That's how I used to. That's how I used um, to tell people I didn't buy them gifts for their birthday. Your your gift is my right, presence. My, yeah, yeah. There it is. Your presence, my presence, dude. So happy uh, to be able to record this. I think um, it's great to to uh, have your presence in my life again. Aww. Thanks for sharing. Um, and legit happy birthday dude Thanks, uh it's a big two five hopefully next year I, I can swing by uh maybe we can do it together we'll figure it out um for all of our ups huh i said we'll figure it out and you need no, to come ahead. down and preach at one of my churches yeah. so no it's gonna happen. i do uh, it will it, it'll it's going to happen all our absurdists out there we hope you guys uh have an incredible week um it's great being back with you and a uh, huge shout out uh, to our our one Patreon subscriber. Uh, follower. Yes. Thank you for Big that. Caleb subscriber is awesome. Caleb is his name's yes, Caleb. His name's Caleb. Dude, it's a great name. Um, Caleb, thank you. Um, have a great week, guys. Yep. Thank you, Tony, for coming on. Thank you for bringing this topic up. And thank you to Prescott for giving us the idea. Um, and yeah, if you want to let us know of anything that you want to talk to us about or anything that we want that you want us to delve into or talk about, uh, feel free to hit me up on Twitter, Ryan180Becker. 
um, or um, just reach out to me via email, ryan180becker at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. Um, and thank you again, Tony. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.